With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicky at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. I'm Vicki McKenna, News Talk 1310 WIBA. Dave McCann is in the studio. How you, Dave? How you doing? You know what? Just this little spitting snow, potential for snow mixed with rain, annoying travel, chilly temperatures, the fact that I had to wear a coat, a, you know, a warmer coat today. It's sapping my, it's sapping my, um, my enthusiasm. It's, it's turning my, uh, my glass that is half full into a glass that is half empty. So, yeah, I don't know. It just it, uh, Come on already. The crocuses are up. My hostas are coming up. My daylilies are coming up. So, anyway, um, it's not supposed to be much in, in the way of accumulation, although it's hard to find that information. Will we get any accumulation? It's been pretty warm out there. Um, but in any case, just enough to make people kind of grumpy. That's what the weather has done to everyone today. Here's what we got coming up in the program. Uh, Sean Duffy will join me on the show. Now, just officially, Justice Elect Brian Hagedorn will join me on the program today. The Democrats are busy little beavers. They are now introducing a piece of legislation that would repeal all states' right-to-work laws. That's right. So we're going to chat with Mark Mix about that. The left, give them credit, aren't backing away from any of their radicalism. They're, they're, if anything, doubling down on it. We'll talk about Tony Evers' continued assault on school choice and how that is being perceived by people who in Wisconsin have already taken advantage of it and who might like to take advantage of it. And we'll check in with Chief Koval as well with a look ahead to what to expect for crime, um, the trends that Madison has been experiencing. All of that's coming up on the program. Dave, here's one of the reasons why my glass is a little bit half empty besides the weather today. I'm looking at a poll. And this poll says 17% of people believed their taxes went down. Thanks to the tax reform law. 17%. Against all reality, the other 83% think somehow their taxes stayed the same or went up. 17% think their taxes went down. I mean, how is that possible? 
taxable. Your taxes went down. Just about everybody's taxes went down. Anyway, we're going to check in with Sean Duffy. We'll get into that. Some other things as well, including Attorney General Barr's decision to investigate the investigators. All of that's ahead. I'll be right back. All right. Back to the uh, politics of the day we go from hopeful, potentially some optimistic um, things to happen in Wisconsin with the installation of Justice Hagedorn that's coming up later on. He hasn't been installed yet. Um, hopefully to have him out and about some other justices like Justice Kelly uh, out and about and explaining to people what it means to be a constitutional conservative, which I think would be enormously educational for people in the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, editorial boards ought to invite these justices in because I think a lot of editorial boards don't understand it. Um, I think that that gives me some some reason to be optimistic here. But then but then I look at some other things and, you know, my glass goes from half full to half empty. Here's one. Most young people say they're okay with socialism. I mean, we've seen this. It's over 60% now. It was under 60% last year, but now it's over 60%. Young people say that they think socialism sounds good. Here's another one. Most people, even though their paychecks went up, believe that the Republican Party raised their taxes in the last tax reform. So, you know, then I see things like this and I say to myself, well, hell, I don't know. Sean Duffy's on the phone to talk about some of this stuff. And we'll also see if we've got some time to talk about Attorney General Barr opening up an investigation, which I think is awesome. But uh, good to have you back. Vicki McKenna, your glass is always half full. I don't know, Brian. All right. I don't know, uh, Sean. I just said Brian on. (laughs) I don't know, Sean. Uh, 17%. You explained this one to me. 17% of people surveyed said they believe that their taxes went up. Not even that they didn't get a tax cut, but that their taxes went up from last year, from from, from this past year to the year before. That's not even possible, but but it's only 17% of people believe they have a tax cut. The rest of them thought their taxes went up. Yeah, the, the frustrating point of that is when, when you look at the power of the media and the Democrats, the partner with the media, they've been telling Americans for the last year and a half that they were going to get a tax increase. And frankly, Americans have believed it. And what's shocking is their actual net pay and their paychecks has gone up because they pay less in taxes. However, because they paid less throughout the year in taxes, their their tax refund at the end of the year is probably going to go down. And so they go, oh, because my tax refund went down, I must be paying more in taxes, even though my paycheck has been higher every uh, every month or every two weeks or every week whenever I paid. It's unbelievable. I don't. Get uh, you it. could have Again, called the power it. Power of the liberal media. I could I can tell you this though you could you could have called this this was the one I think this was the the Achilles heel of the tax reform is that we you changed the withholding table so that people got more in their paychecks right away and I understand the reasoning behind that but if 
people don't perceive that that was due to the tax reform, then yes, by the end of the year when they're filing their taxes and their refunds are down slightly, they're saying, those rotten Republicans, all they did was give tax breaks to the rich. Look at my refund. It's $400 less. Therefore, my taxes went up. And unless there's someone like Sean Duffy sitting next to that person and every single one of those people going, um, no, man, let's compare your paychecks. That's going to be the general perception. So, I, I mean, I, you could have seen it. And with the way the media was selling this, this is not something that is surprising, except it's, it's just overwhelming. I'm just shocked that it's 83 percent of people thinking they didn't get a tax cut. Yeah, that, that surprises me, too. But, but I will tell you, I mean, I do think all in all people and I don't I haven't seen any polling on this, but most who I've talked to would say, you know what, the tax, the tax reform has been pretty good for the economy. There's more opportunity. There's more jobs. There's better pay. Um, people are pretty bullish on what's been going on. And I do think most people aren't saying that's because, you know, Barack Obama's policies only take effect after Barack Obama's left office. No, they're saying the, it's been the work of the Republican Congress and Donald Trump that's kickstarted, grown the, uh, grown the economy and, and made life better for my family. I do think we get credit for that. So it's all not bad, but it is troubling. You, you let people keep more of their own money because you fix the tax code, and people think the exact opposite. It's pretty tough. It's one of those things. No good deed goes on punters, Vicky. <laughs> like yep. You can't win. No kidding. You should have. I mean, you should have assumed. I guess you know. Where's, what's the old uh, the old cliche? Nobody ever went broke uh, underestimating the intelligence of the American public. You should have assumed that uh, that folks wanted the bigger refunds rather than having money in their paychecks, additional money in their paychecks every single week. Although Sean, had you asked them, they'd have wanted the money up front. They would have wanted the money up front, and they still would have griped later, saying, "Why is my refund lower this year?" It's it's. But I could have seen it happening and and the reason was it was a few months ago i was i was reading about people who are going to get stuck by because they didn't change their withholding or they didn't change their deductions um if they didn't change their deductions and they ended up having to write a check my worry was that that people were going to have to write checks and they were going to blame the gop for that i had no idea that they'd blame the gop for having a slightly lower refund when they've been collecting more money in every paycheck it's just it's ma- it's one of those maddening things, but it gets you, you know, it gets us to the problem. And that is we don't educate. Conservatives don't do a good job over time consistently educating people about what our policies are, how they work and why they matter. And so we end up getting stuck with with stupid stuff like this to have to contend with when, you know, the only thing that anybody should be should be saying about the tax reform is thank you. But you know what? I, 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 it's, it's a fair enough criticism, Vicky. But it's incredibly hard, you know, when when Republicans go out and and and, and tout the tax reform and what it's going to do for the average American and for the economy, and the liberal media takes the talking points of the Democrat Party and pushes the exact opposite narrative, which is false, which isn't true, and it just shows you, you know, when you have a liberal media that is not fair. That is, you know, in, in in total opposition to free enterprise and in favor of socialism. It's really hard to win the minds, uh, the, the the hearts and the minds of the American people. How do you get your message out? You get it out through the media, and so, but for you know, talk radio and, and and sometimes Fox News, you know, you, you know, you get your 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 Twitter account shadow banned. It's tough to get things out on Facebook, and the liberal media doesn't help tell the truth about what we've done. It's really hard to win the messaging war. 
uh, the deck is somewhat stacked against us as a, as a party. I mean, think back to when, when Democrats came out and said that it's a manufactured crisis at the southern border. The news media didn't say, Democrats claim it's a manufactured crisis at the border. Republicans say X, Y, and Z. The liberal media was coming out, and they would say, it's a manufactured crisis at the border. They would actually report as news the, the, the political claim that was me, being made by the left. It's really hard to fight and win it, which maybe to your point is we have to be better. We have to be um, dogged in our push on what we've done and how it's been effective for, for the American people. And cagier. Every resource possible. And you know what? It goes to the point, it's tough to go on CNN and MSNBC. It is hard because there's a little bit of gotcha that's played with you on those networks. But we need people to go into those spaces. Members of Congress can't be afraid to step into those spaces and to punch back and fight back with the truth where you have a group of people who only watch those networks. And unless we go there, the hosts aren't going to tell them the truth. And the Adam Schiff's of the world that go on aren't going to tell them the truth. It's our job to go on and tell them the truth, the flip side of the story that they're not getting from the anchors. Yeah, well, here's one. Um, and and oddly, though, despite, you know, almost a universal uh, hosia for Russian collusion, um, that wasn't sticking very well with the American public. So um, that was that it can you can get through. You can break through. Now, that may have had to do with President Trump consistently addressing it on his Twitter feed, which, of course, every single network um, always jumps on. You know, perhaps that he had he addressed as much attention to the tax reform on his Twitter feed in the same way. But honestly, I think what, what, what ended up getting you getting us stuck was the fact that you changed the withholding tables. I think that's what got us stuck on that. It sounded like a good idea at the time. Um, but now it shows that maybe we should have just let people get bigger refunds. But had President Trump jumped on this on his Twitter feed, would it have changed? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Perception of the way people understood the tax reform, perhaps, because I do think that helped on Russia. Um, Most people don't think... There's Russia collusion. Most people don't think the president's an agent of the Kremlin. Most people don't think that Carter Page or anybody else associated with the administration, including Mike Flynn, uh, one of the first guys popped on all of this, had anything to do with trying to alter the outcome of an election. They do actually think Hillary committed if not a crime, <clears throat> at least a violation. And a lot of people believe now at this point that President Trump isn't too far off the base when he says witch hunt. Now you've got Attorney General Barr willing to investigate the investigators. Um, you know, I mean, there are ways to flip the script, Sean. There, there, there is, and I look at it, uh, Attorney General Barr, I mean, thank God that we have someone in there who's, who, who's, who appears to be smart and willing to look at how did this investigation start? What went wrong? Um, was this just, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, misinformation? Did we just get it wrong and have good evidence that didn't pan out, that we needed to use intelligence tools that we reserve for terrorists, but to use them against a presidential campaign? Or were these actually politicos playing inside, using the power of the DOJ and the FBI, using that power 
to try to take down a presidential candidate and then an elected president. And we need the answers to those questions. And I think we're not going to have trust and faith in the FBI and the DOJ until we get those answers. And frankly, I think we should have a special counsel look at it, a special task force put up to, to look inside of who made what decisions and why they made them. And if they committed crimes to prosecute them, Sort of that, uh, if Attorney General Barr is going to take a hard look at what happened and disclose to us the background on how this bogus investigation began, which, by the way, we now know there was no Russia collusion, but our time was wasted for two years. Every day, every hour on MSNBC and CNN, they reported on it, and it was absolutely false. We, as the American people, have the right to know who did it. And by the way, we should protect the next president from any kind of investigation like this, including if Bernie Sanders wins, Bernie Sanders shouldn't have to go through this, nor should Kamala Harris. If you do something wrong, you should be investigated for it. But for a political purpose, based on a Russian dossier that was created by Hillary Clinton and the DNC, that that's used for the template to investigate Donald Trump, it's absolutely outrageous. So who did it? Let's hold him to account and let's clean out that bureaucracy of the FBI and the DOJ and make sure we have stringent rules in place to make sure the power we give them is used judiciously and to protect us, not used against us. Can Barr do it? Does he have the guts to do it? Does he have enough people who are trustworthy enough to do it? You know, I think if Chris Christie, if he was there, my answer would be absolutely. Bill Barr, um, he's saying the right things, Vicki. Um, but time will tell. And by the way, if she comes out and says, there was just a mistake, they had what they thought was good information, they made an error, there was no you know, nefarious purpose behind it, um, okay, uh, but I, I want to see him thoroughly look through it. And, I, and here's my hope. What I, when you become an institutionalist, oftentimes you can defend the institution for which you've dedicated so much of your time to. My hope is that Bill Barr loves the institution of the attorney general's office enough that he's willing to expose it to reform it instead of loving it so much that he wants to protect it from criticism and then therefore keep the same sickness and cancer from uh, from growing if it continues to grow inside uh, that uh, that agency so so there's still a sense that perhaps he's a bit more of an institutionalist than makes people comfortable for somebody who is now tasked with trying to rebuild the integrity of that office. I think that, that's a concern. That's a concern. Um, and so I think the words are right. We want action, though. We want action. Uh, and by the way, if you, you, I don't know that Hillary Clinton's going to be prosecuted for anything, but I do want to know what was Hillary Clinton's role? What was Russia's true role um, in, in, in their efforts um, to start this investigation. And if we, if we as liberals say, they care about Russian influence in American elections, well, what was their role in starting this investigation on Donald Trump? And by the way, the, the true mission of the Russians is to divide America. That's why they would, they would promote um, multiple different issues on, on either side. Um, they would promote pro-Trump rallies and anti-Trump rallies. Because all they care about is dividing America, because when we're divided, we're weaker. And so what they've done with, the, with this Russia investigation, the Russia collusion investigation with Donald Trump is they've divided America. They've been wildly successful in their efforts with the help of the liberal media. So let's find out what their role was 
in starting this investigation and providing bogus information to the Clinton campaign that was then sent to the FBI. I'd like to also see a good investigative journalist detail uh, a forensic analysis of the media's assistance in spreading the propaganda and the smears in a way that looked, I dare say, coordinated, Um, because you are talking about a universal hymnal being sung from by everybody except a handful of people on the Fox News channel and a couple of folks writing editorials for the Wall Street Journal. I mean, otherwise, it sounded like everyone was working from the same exact script. So I'd love to see that as well, talking about getting back to the to the, um, the the menace that the media has become, because you know, the, the, for for two years they weren't telling us the truth. And I'll tell you some other things: they weren't telling us the truth about just about anything. They weren't telling us the truth about Russian collusion. They weren't telling us the truth about Hillary Clinton's email scandal. They weren't telling us the truth about Uranium One, the deal that she did behind the scenes. They weren't telling us the truth about Hillary Clinton. Period. They weren't telling us the truth about the tax reform, the crisis on the border, the actual reality of gun violence in America. We're not getting the truth about what you know how many fake hate crimes there are out there. How many times can Conservative speech has been attacked. They're not telling us the truth about Google, Facebook, and Twitter shadow banning and outright blacklisting conservatives. So let's actually do a little bit of a forensic deep dive. And I know that's not going to be Congress's responsibility, but maybe it could be into just how the press participated in promoting propaganda that was so far reaching the press themselves started to believe their own headlines. Well, maybe what the press could do is... The, 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 the very ones who put Adam Schiff on for two years and where Adam Schiff came and said, I have more than substantial uh, than, 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 than uh, uh, circumstantial evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Russia. When he has now come back on after we found out that there was no collusion, maybe they should ask him, what evidence do you have, Congressman Schiff? When are you going to show us your evidence? You, I mean, though, though, the, though the, the Mueller reports uh, interviewed, you know, hundreds of people and, you know, tons of subpoenas in a two-year investigation. The great Adam Schiff with a couple of his uh, staff members, they're the ones that found the evidence of Russia collusion. Why don't they ask him to show us, expose it for us? But he comes back on and he's never asked those questions. And so uh, I do think the glass uh, is half empty when we look to say, is the media going to actually call themselves out for their fake reporting? Fat chance that that's ever going to happen, but it would be nice. No way. No, that's why. Honest reporters. That's why you're going to need a a good independent investigative reporter to actually do this kind of analysis of the media. You can't expect them to do a self-analysis because they're just finding ways to move on to the next scandal so they don't have to take responsibility for the for the chaos and destruction that's in their wake. Hey, Sean, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Rock on, Vicky. Talk to you later. Good to have you, Congressman Sean Duffy. Everybody, I'm out of time. Have a great Welcome back to the show. Still ahead, Chief Cobal is going to join me. Um, getting reports of some slippery conditions on the roads. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what does our Beltline report look like, Dave? I don't think the Beltline's having any difficulty. I think these are side streets we're talking about. No, 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 this is the Beltline. It could be having issues. Well, good point. Good point. Good point. Um, let us know if the Beltline's got some difficult-to-manage uh, road conditions, folks, if you don't mind. Um, I just made the mistake of clicking on this story. 
You know, it's one of those stories you don't want to click on, but you do it anyway. And here's, here's, here's the headline. Woman's infection caused by bees living in her eye. That's the headline. And that's what the story's about. I saw something that looked like insect legs, so I pulled them out under a microscope slowly and one at a time without damaging their bodies, Dr. Hung said of his patient. Which one, which one marks, is Mark Mix on? Three? Is he on three? So, yeah, I linked that story up. If you, there is video. That was something else I made the mistake of clicking on. Yeah. Yeah, I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna click on the video of the bees in the woman's eyes. No, no, not me. Nope, nope. What did I do? I clicked on it. Ah! All right, Mark Mix from the National Right to Work Committee's on the phone. No, Mark, we're not talking about bees, but uh, yeah, that is a story today if you can believe it. I. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I could, could could control myself not to click on something like that either, I know, Vicky. So, I yeah. know, I know. Yeah, so anyway, um, that is neither here nor there. But if you would like to see that story, I have helpfully... I have helpfully shared that one to Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> just to, And I've given you all ample warning to don't click, don't click, and I bet you a dollar you're going to click. All right, here's another story I couldn't help but click on, Mark. And that was... Democrats to introduce repeal of all state right-to-work laws. So let's start there, uh, Mark. They hate worker freedom. They're in the tank for their their union political pals. But is it something they can actually do? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, they can go into federal law, which was created back in 1935 and amended back in 1947, the Taft-Hartley Act in 1947, which here is the federal government giving the states permission, granting them the permission to preempt federal law and pass right-to-work laws. So what they would do is go into the Taft-Hartley Act, simply repeal Section 14B of the Taft-Hartley Act, and that would wipe out every right to, every 20, 27 right-to-work laws across the country, including Wisconsin. Wouldn't, but, you know, here's the thing. That would be the uh, that would be so wildly unpopular in the states, especially that have right to work laws. So Wisconsin, um, Indiana, these kinds of states we're talking about. This is I mean, you know, so the Democrats don't care, but these are battleground states we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think politically, I mean, I, I'm not sure what Speaker of the House Pelosi thinks about all this, but obviously the chairman of the Education and Workforce Committee in the House of Representatives, Bobby Scott, who is ironically from a right-to-work state of Virginia, has decided that the committee is going to sponsor this bill to, to wipe out right-to-work laws across the country, and they're calling it the bill, they're, they're dubbing it the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. And so just yesterday, we got news that the United Auto Workers, uh, an organization you know well in Wisconsin, is going to try to organize workers at the Volkswagen plant in guess which state? Tennessee, which is a guess what? Right-to-work state. So this notion that you can't organize, I guess they're going to have to call off this election because apparently in right-to-work states, you can't organize workers yeah, right now. Yeah, you know what? But this is the, how many times have, have the UAW taken a run at Volkswagen <laughs> in Tennessee? Yeah, a couple times. A couple and times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they figure that if we keep doing this over and over and over again, if eventually people are going to are going to acquiesce to this. Listen, 
States don't repeal these laws. These laws are very effective in terms of boosting potential economic development opportunity. Standard, uh, The standards of living tend to go up in states with... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Right to work laws, economies tend to be more stable. Taxes tend to be lower in these kinds of states as well. So, I mean, I think it would be a tremendous um, shot across the bow for the Democrats to actually try to send this one over to the Senate. But I welcome their I welcome their admission that they are about taking away worker freedom, um, because otherwise, you know, the Republicans tend to not fight on things like this once they've won the battles, um, which is why we stopped talking about Act 10 and we stopped talking about prevailing wage reform in Wisconsin. We stopped talking about right to work. Now we have a governor here who wants to get rid of prevailing wage reform, the Project Labor Agreement reform and was hoping to get a Supreme Court seat denied, but was hoping to get a Supreme Court seat to maybe take another crack at Act 10. Right, and the right to work law, and that's, uh, you know, right. they, they, they never stop. They never stop. The idea of right to work, and, and I would ask any union official in Wisconsin to call into your show and explain how they can't go out and organize workers in a right to work state. If they can say that with a straight face, they're, they're out there lying, because we know the UAW is trying in Tennessee a right to work state at the Volkswagen plant in Chattanooga here at the end of the month. So, yeah, this is about worker freedom. This is about giving workers who these union officials claim to represent the power to hold union officials accountable, and somehow Somehow, somehow, that's a violation of of, work, of union officials' rights for sure, quote unquote rights. Um, but it's not a violation of individual employees' rights. Or uh, would it be beneficial to states to take away voluntary unionism and impose a system of compulsory forced unionism? Right. Well, and it, not only is a right to work state um, a state where workers can choose whether or not they want to pay a middleman for their job, or whether or not they want to, you know, be represented. Um, in right-to-work states, nothing prevents any unions from wanting to organize, trying to make their case to workers. But see, this is the union's tell. This is them ripping the mask off and admitting who they are. Because if they actually wanted to represent workers, they go into a business, they make their case, the workers say, hmm, good deal. I like it. Sign me up. But workers aren't signing up for it, Mark. And if they're not signing up for it, then it's not a good deal. And and the unions don't want to actually make it a good deal because that means that they have to reorient their thinking from politics to actual workers. And they'd have to actually consider that union contracts have depleted pension funds and unions have destroyed companies and run whole companies out of business and run whole companies out of states. I mean, that would be that would be something that I would recommend they do if they want to stick around, but they seem to be tripling down on the politics. 
Yeah, it's easier to come to Washington and get get their majority to introduce a right. bill to repeal all the right-to-work laws. That's easier. What does it look like in terms of support for these kinds of laws across the 27 states? I mean, millennials don't seem all that hip to wanting to pay a guy to get a job. Um, you know, folks who, have, who already live in these states don't seem hip to want to pay a guy to get a job. Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know, they have not repealed one once one has been enforced, except for you know attempts to repeal it. They they tried to knock one out in Louisiana, which we got back in 1976. They they say that a right to work law was repealed in Indiana. It wasn't true back in 1957. The courts interpreted it as saying, yeah, you still be forced to pay fees, but you don't you don't have to quote formally join the union. Now that's not a right to work law as we understand them today in the 27 states that have them. But you know, it's it's really simple stuff, Vicky. And 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 I I hope, frankly, I hope Bobby Scott and the rest of that committee will. Bring bring this issue up. If they bring it up pure, if they don't add all kinds of stuff on it, they just bring it up and say, do you believe that a worker should be forced to pay a private organization for the privilege of working or not? I think that we'd yeah, love to have that debate and love to have that vote, quite frankly. You know, here, well, here's my question as well, though. So we have a Supreme Court decision um, that is essentially saying, you know, look, if you don't want to pay fees, you know, and I mean, whether whether there's compulsory unionism or not in a state, um, what they what they used to say is that, yeah, you can get out of the union, but you still have to pay agency fees. Now we've got a court decision saying no. So, I mean, functionally, what what does the union get out of this if ultimately people can just say, no, thanks, and I'm not going to give you any money? Yeah, that's right. In the public sector, for all government employees across the country, based since June 27th of last year when the Supreme Court ruled in Janus v. Ashme, a case that our foundation litigated, um, no government worker anywhere in America can be, compel- can be compelled to pay any fees or dues to a union to keep their job. So this is definitely a private sector bill um, and comes from Congress, and it affects the National Labor Relations Act. And, and so, how yeah, could, that, how could yeah. that Janus logic, though, not apply to private sector workers? Well, I, I don't know if I can answer that question, Vicki. I guess they have some theory, but you're right. The Supreme <laughs> Court has ruled this is a violation of First Amendment speech rights, and therefore it can't be collected under the Constitution. So we're trying to expand that privilege or that, that protection for private sector workers as well. Uh, these guys don't agree, obviously. They want to go back and force workers to pay dues or fees to get or keep a job. Yeah, in the meantime, apparently work groups aren't working, huh? Because so, that was the <laughs> alternative in Right to Work says is to form these work groups. And we, we had those work Work groups showed themselves in this last Supreme Court election, but they did not nearly have the potency that the old, you know, proper forced dues collection labor unions had in Wisconsin. Those work groups exist and they function very much like unions. In fact, in Madison, um, you've got a work group that negotiates contracts. It's basically the union, only it calls itself a work group. So it's not, you know, governed under the National Labor Relations Act any longer. Um, But, you know, that doesn't appear to be getting it done. They're not getting by. And I guess those little micro unionization efforts aren't really getting it done for them. Yeah, that's right. They've come up with lots of ways to work around and not only work around in the private sector for those types of activities, those so-called worker centers that they have, but also in the public sector. They've introduced lots of legislation. They've got several court cases around the country regarding the Janus decision there. In Oregon, for example, one example, Vicki, the legislature is considering a bill that would make the payment from the state of Oregon directly to the union officials, take the employees out of the equation, send the money to the union as a, quote, vendor of the state for, quote, unquote, 
representational services. So now taxpayers would be fitting the bill for union union political activity and lobbying and and all the things that they do. So it's just very interesting. They can't solve the problem by going out and selling a product to workers. They've got to sell it or or, get, or buy it from politicians. Buy it from politicians. That's yeah. what it is. It's let, or instead buy it from politicians. Mark Mix looks like the National Right to Work Committee is going to be around for a lot longer. <laughs> Indeed, Vicky. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Always good to have you on the program, Mark Mix. Folks, we were gonna take we're gonna take a quick break here. I'll be right back. You know, I I must say, labor unions, if you're so valuable and so important, then why do you need to force people to accept you? Why do you need to force workers? If I mean, if you're great, you're so awesome and pro-worker, how come people aren't forming lines to sign up with unions? Hmm? If you're so great, why do you need to have the right of exclusive representation in workplaces where you do exist? Just please, Republicans, start asking these questions, won't you please? Won't you please? Because the Democrats, they figure... You know, nobody's going to call us on what we're doing regarding unions because the Republicans have already passed their right to work laws. Republicans have already passed their prevailing wage reform. They don't like to talk about this stuff. Most of them don't know how to talk about this stuff. I just wish some Republicans would start asking questions like, so if you're so important, why do you need Congress to force everybody to join your organizations? We'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back. Happier news. Lisa Neubauer conceded the Supreme Court race this morning. Uh, This is after the canvas was completed. We now have officially Justice-elect Brian Hagedorn. So an official congratulations to you, Justice-elect Hagedorn. It's great to have you on the program. It's a great day. Great to be with you, Vicki. You had no you had no doubt about this. The the canvas, you know, wasn't expected to produce anything weird. Um, I don't know. You know, did you pick up votes? Did you ultimately lose votes? What ultimately happened at the end of the canvas? Yeah, and there's still a couple of uh, little trickles that are still supposed to come in, but after Milwaukee and Madison came in, there was virtually no change. But uh, the last I've heard, we picked up at least a couple hundred votes. So we're well over 6,000, 6,100 at this point, uh, the last I had heard. Uh, and so I think as she had seen that there, there was no significant change, particularly in the places where she did really well, uh, that uh, that was enough and, and didn't see a recount uh, to make any sense. 
Yeah, and there was no irregularities in the canvassing. I guess, you know, you might call for a recount if there was some sort of substantial irregularity. There was none of that. It was very routine. You picked up a couple hundred votes, making your win just slightly stronger, which is great. So you will be um, our next Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. Now, to to a bigger issue, uh, Justice-elect Hagedorn, and that is this trend that we have of... um, you know, not just liberals, but young people in particular uh, don't. Und- I don't know if it's if it's um, hating the structures of the republic and the constitution, or it's knowing nothing about it. Because there's an awful lot of people out there who are very happy to just have justices express their, not yours, mind you, not your political view, but have justices, liberal justices, express their political views in lieu of the law for a particular political outcome. And it is that trend that has been with us for some time that seems to be getting worse. I I agree. And, you know, one of the things I'm excited about is now I have an opportunity to have a little bit of a bully pulpit. And, you know, I've I've never been somebody to, to sit down uh, and stay quiet. I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone, but I also uh, believe that I have an o- opportunity and an obligation to speak into these things. Part of it is just basic civics. You know, I- I've been going in and speaking to schools in the past, and it's something I'll continue to do. And maybe there's even some some larger work to be done. But how many how many 18 year olds, 17 year olds, 16 year olds know know that we have three branches of government and know what their roles are? Uh, you know, most of most people look, they, they see court decision, they, they ask whether it accords with whatever their policy views are, and then they decide whether the judges got it right or wrong. And that's just fundamentally right. wrong at the end of the day. So there there is there's a lot judge, of work to be done. In, go ahead. Judge becomes the, the a, a political vote. The judge just be, simply becomes an extension yep. of politics, and that's okay with a lot of people. And I would say, given that, now I just looked at the latest numbers, 27% of American adults over the age of 18 can identify the three branches of government. 27%. Brian, they're being given multiple choice questions, and they're still getting it wrong. <laughs> so so right. I've got to believe that there may be some people on the other side as well who are all about sort of fist-pumping the, the, the opinion they prefer in terms of politics policy, but also not understanding that that's not the court's position. So how do you use the bully pulpit? Because a lot of times the justices feel as if they speak out, um, that somehow they're they're doing something untoward or it's inappropriate or, it, you know, or something like that. And so you don't see a lot of that. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to know how best to use it, because obviously, we have some limits in what we can talk about in terms of specific cases that may come down uh, the pipeline. But I, I think we do. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I have an obligation to rebuild culture. And I, you know, I was involved with the Federal Society when I was at Northwestern Law School. I was the president of the Federal Society there precisely because the dominant uh, culture uh, in the legal academy as well as in legal practice is just not healthy. Part of it is reforming our legal system. I mean, I, gosh, I'd much rather be governed by, you know, the first 100 names out of the phone book than the first 100 lawyers on the state bar list. Uh, that's just my own thought, and, and this is my own profession. There's a lot of great people, but when it comes to uh, their, their understanding of, of, of how courts fit in, there tends to be this sense of self-importance that judges bring to the table, that, that we're there to, to determine whether the people made wise decisions or, or not. And I've heard judges say the, say, say the very thing. And so we need, to, we need to fight against that, and it's a long battle. It's a long battle to reform our civic culture. It's a long battle to reform our legal culture. But as I think about the legacy that I want to leave, that's certainly a big part of what I want to do. The use of the academy, and I think that's that's key here. We've not addressed any of this. Um, and I was just reading, this was maybe two years ago, and it was in the Washington Times, an article about George Mason Law School and the professors there. Um, nobody is teaching sort of um, basic constitution. They're teaching constitutional activism. They're teaching the concept of a living constitution that can that can breathe and change with the whims of the body politic. And instead of sort of teaching the first principles, they're suggesting to the lawyers that their jobs are to be social activists or to be political activists. And if those lawyers go on to become judges, of course, that's an extension of that activism. We see this now in a movement to try to get elected DAs in larger cities um, put in place who will just simply ignore the law if they personally believe the law is unjust. And, of course, we've seen activist judges going back decades. Right, right. Well, you're right. I mean, that is, that is the, the dominant the dominant culture is is this idea that everybody's kind of a little bit of a you know social justice warrior, and again you know I think most people who go into the legal profession have some sense of obligation to their community. You do, I do, uh, and that's why I'm doing what I do, and that's why you speak into this. But it tends to you know just come from a certain kind of perspective. And if you look at the legal clinics that they have in law schools, they are overwhelmingly clinics that support one certain side of the equation, you know, often, you know, helping defendants, which again is, is useful and important and good. But the idea of having clinics that uh, support other types of causes as well, you don't find those in law schools. You don't find professors, you know, as welcomed. I mean, I've personally talked to professors who so my job is to keep my mouth shut and put good, you know, scholarship out there that's uncontroversial until I get tenure. And only then maybe I'll speak out. That's the culture we have in the legal academy. It's the culture we have in the academy in general right now. And, uh, you know, you these dominant places of influence at the top of government, the top of the media, the top of the academy are places where, uh, you know, we need to put good people who are going to help uh, speak out and say, nope, there's other ways to think about this uh, and let's go after it. 
Yeah, you know, because all the great defenders of free speech who are at universities are getting old. I mean, just to be blunt, they're getting old. They're going into, you know, their retirement years. Um, the people who are coming behind them aren't nearly. I mean, we don't we don't have a lot of, you know, Erwin Shemarinsky's out there. Um, we've got some. But again, we are talking about a class of constitutional attorney that that it seems to be becoming a rarer and rarer thing. Do they, do not, they don't have free speech clinics. They don't have clinics, you know, teaching young lawyers about the administrative state and how the administrative state constrains liberty. They don't have those things. I, I'm trying to imagine the response at any of the top law schools in the country if somebody had proposed setting up a, say, Second Amendment clinic to defend the right to bear arms and how that would right. play out. It would really be. It would really be something something to behold. You know, the, the, the one thing I will say, though, is that there has been a counter-movement. There's been a counter-movement of people who are committed to the text and to the original understanding of the Constitution. And there's scholars who are rising up and are speaking out and are involved. And it's small, still too small, but it's growing. And, and now we're seeing some of those same people who are part of that movement take seats, for example, on the United States Supreme Court, people like Neil Gorsuch and, and others. And that's really encouraging to see. So there, there is hope, uh, and there are good people who are taking their spots, and, and I certainly hope to play some role in helping to impact culture here. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. I think we've got some great justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. It would be marvelous to have you dispatched to, I don't know, when, you, when, you know, when you're not hearing cases, when you're not in session, to high school classrooms, college classrooms, mm-hmm. law schools, editorial boards. Let's just sit down and have a conversation with Justice Hagedorn, or let's have a conversation with Justice Bradley, and, and you know, just shoot out any question whatsoever. Imagine how much knowledge and how much education could be could come from that. Just, just you know, I'm, I'm coming in and you guys can just ask me questions. You can ask me questions about the law. You can ask me questions about politics or social policy. But that the, un, to, to be able to see what a constitutional conservative perspective means in all those realms, I think would be really educational and very appealing for people listening. Yeah, I agree. I, and I actually have done a decent amount of that in the Court of Appeals. I've gone and spoken at uh, multiple high schools uh, around here and done the very thing. And I, and, and I speak at, I've spoken at University of Wisconsin Law School, at Marquette Law School, and I'm going to be looking for more of those opportunities. And you're right, there's some great people on the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, that I'm looking forward to joining uh, who, you know, I think we have an opportunity to build something uh, really great there. Good to have you on the program, and congratulations officially. Um, I look forward to, I think a lot of us look forward to um, your wisdom and your calm perspective and your sense of balance and your commitment to the Constitution. Justice Hagedorn, thank you. Hey, thanks so much, Vicki. Really appreciate it. Great to have you. Great to have you. Now, I'm not going to be able to call him Brian. I'm going to have to call him Justice Hagedorn. That's okay. I don't mind. We're going to take a break. I'll be right back. You know, ever since I saw that bee story, my tear ducts have been itching. The story about the uh, Taiwanese lady who got four bees embedded in her eyes, feeding on her tear ducts. Yeah, I think I'll scratch my tear ducts again just to make sure there's no insects embedded in them. Yeah, hot on the heels of that story comes this one. A 17-foot... Pregnant 
Burmese python found in Florida, 17 feet found in the Everglades at a place called Big Cypress National Preserve. Some of you may have been to Big Cypress. I've never been to Big Cypress. 17 feet. So Burmese pythons, thanks to the irresponsible pet trade, have become an invasive species in Florida where they consume everything from house pets to native animals, native mammals, to the point where they're pretty much the dominant species in Florida. Um, 17-foot 17, 17 python, there's pictures of this thing. It's absolutely amazing. The pictures of this thing, this doesn't creep me out nearly as bad as the bee story does, because I actually like snakes. And I had smaller pythons as pets, much smaller ball pythons. Um, I had a, a carpet python. Anyway, it's small compared to a Burmese python, which can get, I don't even know how long they can get. I think the longest one found in Florida was 18 feet. This thing's 17 feet long. It's 75 eggs. It's the, it's the reporter on the story in the Quad Cities that cracked me up. I, just, I think you can hear this off my computer. I just want you to hear this reporter. This female reporter in the Quad Cities. Here, I'm getting down to my computer. Who's talking about this amazing... <laughs> just listen. Conservationists say the snakes are causing ecological problems at Big Cypress, so they developed a way to find and remove them using radio wow. transmitters. As long as they can do it safely, I guess, huh? Yeah, exactly, and not harming the animal right, in any way. <laughs> Spoken like someone who's never had to, you know, I've never looked into this Burmese python problem in Florida. Um, ma'am? That python's dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. 17 feet long. Mama python is no longer. They 17 sent 17 feet. feet. I just refuse. As long the, as they don't story... hurt the animal. Oh, yeah. I mean, they probably hit it over the head with a shovel. <laughs> I mean, they're dragging it out. It's completely stretched out. You know what that means? It's probably already dead as they're, as they're dragging the thing out. They've got it all stretched out. Anyway. Um, and I, those, I just refuse to believe that 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 story. I just refuse to believe in that story. The B story is even worse. I, so I've just taken this f- fake news approach. I, is it's it? Just you think news. it's fake news? I don't want to hear news? about it. It has fake to news. be the B one in particular. I fake am sorry. News. That is ludicrous. That okay. is a ludicrous story. You have to watch the video then. Nope. There's no, video. You. No, thank There's you. video of both of these stories. It's a fake video. I don't <laughs> care. Like seriously, I will pass. No, thank you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. Oh. These are both today, stories today. You know, there was an old radio bit um, on WLS in Chicago way back in the day. Some of you guys old enough to remember this know what I'm going to say. It was called Animal Stories. And it was all, it was the whole radio bit was, you can buy albums. I think you can probably still get the vinyl albums of Animal Stories because the, uh, oh, now I forget. Was it Larry Lujak and, I think it was Larry Lujak. Anyway, um, you could you could you know buy these albums because they were just you know the radio host m- making funny commentary on funny animal stories. They'd be having a heyday. Maybe we should bring that back. I probably would have to owe like Some trademark royalties, get royalties yeah. or trademark infringement or something like that. Yeah, but I just I enjoyed the python story because someone was like, yeah, as long as they didn't hurt the animal. Yeah, they did. Yeah, usually snakes Saying. don't just lay in a straight line still. Yeah, and it's, it's, they're all over. I remember one time we were going out to Orlando. I was going out to an AFP uh, 
American Dream Conference. And I was so excited because I thought maybe I could get a Python permit. Now, I was just going to go out there with, you know, with a camera to try to take pictures of this. Um, You can't get, I don't think you can get out of state, at least at the time I looked into this, which I think was 2013. You couldn't get an out-of-state Python hunting permit. Um, And I think you needed, you know, there's restrictions. You couldn't use guns, certain types of, you know, things, boxes you had. And I thought, why not just make this a season and, and get tourism into the Everglades to go get those radio tracking devices on the male python so they can find the female pythons, kill the female pythons. Well, okay, that's fine. But maybe just send some good old Wisconsin boys out there with some baseball bats and garbage bags and get rid of them. Is that how that works for real? Like... It just just bash them over the head. I think like, that's pretty much how you do it. Is just well, I mean, if they're big enough, I suppose maybe a twenty-two shell oh would be goodness. More are you kidding me? I, and I like these snakes. I think they're they're very cool. This is just not where they're supposed to be. No, these are people who are in Florida who thought, boy, that's a really because when they're small, they're they're really neat. They're all the same size when they're small, and so you know, idiots go, well, that'd be really cool to have a. Burmese python, then they're, you know, they're small. Well, what happens? Somebody would no doubt ask. So what happens when they get to be 8, 10, 12 feet long? People buy reticulated pythons as well. These are massive, massive snakes. And, well, but it'll be fine. I can handle it. No, half the time, just let them go. They just let them go. Or sometimes they escape containment. Jeez. It's not always necessarily just pure irresponsibility. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Responsibility. These are, these are animals that can escape containment. Yeah. Just say no to the giant constrictor snakes. Just saying. But, yeah, I just thought that was kind of cute. She thought, well, as long as they don't hurt the animal. She, she says this in the Quad Cities. <laughs> They hurt the animal. I'm almost positive. I'm going to take a break. Anyway, I just wanted to share. If I find more of these crazy animal stories, maybe we'll just make today Animal Stories Day. Um, with all due uh, reverence to the greatness of the original animal stories. But coming up when we come back, uh, i got to talk about Tony Evers' continued attempt to undermine school choice even after his tenure as superintendent of public instruction where he had begun his uh, bureaucratic war on school choice. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome back to the program. So I made the mistake of Googling animal stories. Larry Lou Jack. And thank you to the folks who reminded me of his sidekick, Little Tommy Edwards. Um, you can get all of these things on YouTube, which is pretty cool. I mean, this is classic radio. This goes back to the 1970s. Um, that's kind of, the, you know, there's, there's an upside and a downside. There's a, a bright side and a dark side 
to the Internet. Um, the, the bright side is that there's a lot of audio and radio history that you can actually hear. Because you can find it on YouTube or you can find it somewhere else. We'll get to some parts of the dark side coming up on the program. Like how if you try to disconnect yourself from Google, it's pretty much not possible. I mean, it's possible to do it. It's just not possible to have anything that you need function. Um, Gizmodo, a Gizmodo reporter, just tried to do it and found out how difficult just disconnecting from Google is and how Google still tries to get at you even though you've disconnected from all Google services. Now imagine if you try to disconnect from Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, just go completely off the, off the uh, data grid. Um, I don't even know if that would be something you could do and still have access to your bank accounts. Um, all right, so to school choice we go. Tony Evers doesn't like school choice. <clears throat> he wants to rein in school choice. He wants to limit the expansion of school choice in Wisconsin and pretty much cut it off where it is right now. He wants to do the same thing with independent charter schools. In fact, charter schools generally, whether they're unionized or non-unionized charter schools. <clears throat> this is a guy who had, um, as superintendent of public instruction, Attempted to make it difficult for special needs kids to exercise their rights under open enrollment, made it difficult to, you know, get them, you know, for people who did have vouchers to actually use those vouchers. There was all kinds of different bureaucratic ways that the Department of Public Instruction was trying to get in the way of school choice. Um, Now that he's governor, he just wants to make it bluntly apparent and, and obvious to everybody that he just doesn't seem to think that there is any room for any other choices for Wisconsin parents other than traditional K-12 brick-and-mortar public schools. And if they want out, they can pay full freight to religious schools. I've got Will Flanders from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty on the program to talk about how Tony Evers' position on school choice, on charter schools, is pretty much the complete polar opposite of what most people in Wisconsin think about these options for education. It's great to have you, Will. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. This is a very encouraging poll um, on public uh, public charter schools, on school funding, on transparency, on school vouchers. What you find is that you know, no, no matter what the editorial pages have been trying to do to bend the truth about what's, you know, what kind of students go to these schools, people like this choice. They like the idea of public charter schools. They like the idea of school vouchers. And then if you dive down into the different demographics, you see the sub-demographics that benefit most from these programs like them a lot. Absolutely. So, yeah, we conducted a, a new statewide poll of 1,400 uh, registered voters in Wisconsin. And we wanted to dive in, as you said, to a lot of these education issues. But I think, as you said, the most important thing that we can glean from this poll is that for a guy that's going around saying his budget is the people's budget, at least in terms of education, he is very out of step with what the people of Wisconsin think. Um, what we found is that we, we asked, first of all, we asked about support in general for choice in charter schools. And that we and we found that in all cases, you know, uh, choices, more, more people support school choice than oppose it. Um, and a majority of people actually support independent charter schools. So a majority of our respondents um, think that independent charters are a good thing. And as you said, when you go into the deeper demographics, the, the highest supporting group, among the highest supporting group for charters and, and school vouchers are African-Americans, are Hispanic voters. And, of course, you get Republican voters in there as well. But not the typical coalitions, but as we said, those that are most likely to use these programs are seeing the benefits and want to make sure they are preserved for their kids. You know what? I, it's a, a whole bunch of really great things came out of this poll. How about this one? Um, education savings accounts. 
very popular, very popular among African-Americans, very popular among Hispanics, very popular generally. Education savings accounts is considered, at least the press pretends, it's controversial. But it doesn't look that controversial when you look at polling. No, we got over 50% support for uh, for ESAs. And I think what's important to note there is that, you know, people in Wisconsin don't have a great deal of familiarity with ESAs. So the fact that we're getting over 50% support in a poll where, where we allowed people to say don't know um, suggests that this is sort of an intuitive idea. Let parents have control of their children's education. Makes sense to a lot of Wisconsinites. And we saw 52% supporting ESAs across the board. And again, as we mentioned before, with the uh, voucher and charter numbers, um, high support among minority and uh, low-income folks. Yeah, and millennials as well. Millennials, uh, they, they like the idea of school choice. They like the idea of education savings accounts. Um, I mean, this is something that one would think, given the broad bipartisan um, and cross-demographic support for the idea, that we would see the Evers administration want to expand. But again, this is Tony Evers' education policy is tied very closely to teachers' union politics, and they don't want to see an expansion of school choice. Um, they don't want to see expansion of public charter schools, and they don't, certainly don't want to see ESAs because ESAs that allows parents to take their you know take their money walking, and they are able to use those dollars in all kinds of ways that may not be supportive of just traditional, traditional brick and mortar school building based public schools. That's right. We've seen a loud you know, group of teachers around the country that are uh, making a lot of complaints both for, for more funding in general and for um, opposition to even charter schools, which used to be kind of more universally supported. But I think what we see in these poll numbers is there still is a silent majority out there of folks, common sense Wisconsin folks that know that uh, these options are important for their, for their kids, they're important for other kids throughout the state. And even though the loudest voices right now tend to be those that are in opposition to choice in charter schools, um, there's still a base of people out there that think these options are critical. All right. So you've got strong support for choice, strong support for vouchers, strong support, even stronger support for public charter schools. Um, You have strong support for ESAs. At the same time, there is strong support for public school funding. But I thought was interesting in your poll, once you break down questions about public school funding, what people want to know is where that money's going. And once they, they figure out that their money isn't going where they think it's going, that, that quote, support for funding drops dramatically. Exactly. There are a lot of liberal proposals that sound really good on the surface level. So you think about Medicare for all at the national level, right? When people just hear that phrase, they say, sure, let's go for it. But when they learn, well, by the way, you're going to lose your private insurance, support plummets. And we see the same thing here. When we just tell people, would you like $1.4 billion more billion for education in Wisconsin, we get about 60% support. But when we tell people that that new funding comes with no academic accountability, which is true, there are no academic accountability measures um, in any of his proposals, support drops below 40%, and he's actually upside down. Only 39% support and 45% opposed. So that's a critical element, and I think a message that policymakers should uh, should try to get out there. Absolutely, as they fight this bloated increase in spending. Yeah, because Tony Evers says, "I want I, you're against public schools. You're against education." So instead, he'll actually say, "You're against education." But someone needs to make the point that there's never any academic accountability for these increases that we're talking about to, to traditional uh, models of education, and at the same time, that no academic accountability is being is being uh, you know applied. You've got 
you've got academics either stagnating or declining when you take a look at the statewide school test scores. When you've got in Wisconsin about 40% of traditional public school kids are proficient in reading or math, and I think I'm being generous, I'm rounding up, um, and you see some of the sub-demographics we're talking about, the the challenge demographics, you know, in the in the 30s or 20s or sometimes even teens, um, you know, that, that screams uh, a system that has been funded without any accountability whatsoever. I mean, I, I can't believe anybody accepts that as, as successful education in Wisconsin, and yet Republicans don't seem to want to make a case about it. Yeah, I think it, it's because people haven't gotten past that top-line message, and we hope getting this information out there that, you know, uh, people can change their mind about additional funding. I think, I think people know the results are stagnated, and they kind of think that, well, maybe more money will help those results not stagnate. What they don't see is that, you know, if you go back in time, we've increased spending tremendously under Governor Walker's last budget. If you go back to the 1980s or 70s, you know, spending has increased exponentially. And as you noted, test scores are flat. The, uh, the racial achievement gap persists. Uh, more money is not going to solve this problem. What seems to work is giving parents more options. And it seems like once we get below that surface-level question, uh, Wisconsinites are familiar with that. They know that these options matter, and more money isn't necessarily going to be the answer. Or if there is more money, let's tie it to something that's actually going to uh, – let's tie it to some sort of results. Measure. Let's not right. throw more money. Well, instead of saying, how about $1.4 billion – in fact, I criticized the, the Walker administration at the, in the last budget for just throwing $639 million in education spending into the budget with very little accountability attached to that. Um, you know, you say $639 million. Let's do $200 million in ESAs. We'll set aside $200 million to fund ESAs in Wisconsin. And, you know, in those, when I say fund, I mean, that's for people who are at the lower income levels because other people should be allowed to sock away some money so that they can potentially get their kids out of traditional public schools. Um, or, you know, here's another idea. Let's just expand EdVest to any type of education that you might want to use for your kid, be it preschool education, additional tutoring, um, alternative to traditional brick and mortar, you know, a public, uh, rather a college, if they want to use it for college, you know, start, start taking some of these ideas and giving parents the option to use their own best judgment for education. But that, again, it gets in the way of the political ideology behind the, the at least the liberals so-called commitment to education. Absolutely. I think uh, anything that will take money away from the teachers' union or from the you know beneficiaries of the teachers' union is something that we're seeing the Evers administration is going to buck at. He, he you know, promises a kid-friendly budget. What he's actually providing is a you know, teachers' union-friendly budget. Um, and you can understand there's a lot of fear in the Democratic Party right now about uh, you know, teachers rising up and uh, sort of being a louder force. Um, but you know, we should be more concerned about what's good for our kids. All those ideas are great ideas. I think they're, they're things that you know, policymakers should consider, even if it's just a small you know, ESA pilot program, you know, you know, take a portion of that money and put that into a pilot program. Uh, things like that would, would be great and, and move the ball forward because I almost guarantee you from what we've seen in other states, we'd see good, good results better than we'll see from just throwing more money into the public schools. I also think there should be a public charter board um, in order to approve public charter schools. What if you're not near a University of Wisconsin campus? What if that campus hasn't been given the authority to grant charter school status? Um, something else to consider. Uh, you know, you've got, there's all kinds of ideas out there. The $1.4 billion we should also point out. And all education spending, when you hear, um, you know, one district, Madison spends almost $20,000 per kid when you add the property taxes generated locally to, to the state, um, 
you know, contributions to education here. And you think to yourself, are you getting 20000 bucks worth? Because a private school doesn't cost $20,000 a year. How much of that money is getting into the classroom, Will? And not much of it gets into the classroom. You have about the same amount of money that seems to be working to actually prop up the classroom. Um, and an awful lot of other stuff that gets propped up, like administration, new buildings, those kinds of things, which really have very little to do with education itself. Yeah, I think that speaks to one of our other questions here that we asked. The highest support level we found on any question in our poll was, do you think there should be more transparency for public school funding? And we got 80% of respondents agreeing that there should be more transparency. So let's let people see where their money is going. Let's provide it in a way that people can actually understand and when they see that 40 to 50 percent of their education dollars are going to administration, I think that's the way to sort of create a grassroots movement sure. um, to change the to change these spending models and change these attitudes in the public school sector. Oh, I think so, too, because most people don't know that 40 to 50 percent of their dollars go to administration. How many how much how many other percent of their other dollars go to things that don't that are not related to actually teaching kids? And I think it would be eye opening. That's something that as the as the Evers administration digs in and tries to attack choice, which is very popular. I mean, this is a this is almost in terms of at least creating the the narrative as a layup for people who are about school reform. You know, folks who support new ideas for education. Just start talking about it. Write letters to the editor. Write those articles. Start putting out press releases on this stuff and come up with some new good ideas that can gain a lot of cross demographic, cross political public support. Absolutely. Even despite all the efforts and rhetoric of the left, these remain bipartisan issues in large part. Uh, when you get to the voter base and yeah, Republicans and, and even you know Democrats who want to you know buck the party trend, there's a real opportunity here for some creative innovation. I think so too. And everyone now is this poll up on the website so people can see? This is a really comprehensive poll. It's a scientific poll. Yes, the uh, the results are up on will-law.org, and I think we've had a piece on Right Wisconsin as well as a shorter summary in the cap time. Sounds good. Uh, Will-law.org. Will Flanders on the phone with me from Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Thanks for jumping on the show. Thank you so much. Have a good afternoon. Super to have you. Still ahead on the program, folks, Chief Mike Koval is going to join me. We'll be right back. The cover of another perfect wonder where it's so about this ESA support above 50% when you consider all demographics and all political persuasions above 50% education savings accounts. This is a way to usually what happens in states is states will pre-fund these things. Um, They typically pre-fund them for people of lower incomes or folks of modest incomes. But so, you know, I mean, states like New Mexico pre-funded, I think Florida also has an ESA program. Um, But most of the time, for the most part, people can take pre-tax dollars, very much like Edvest, just take pre-tax dollars, set it aside. And so you're, so you can use it to enhance your kid's education. You can, you can sock aside enough tax money that allows you to send your kids to a private school, perhaps tutoring, um, other types of lessons that you might, as long as it's education related. You might want to use it for special services. Um, And then you can actually take it, you know, I mean, this is deductible against your tax bill. This is super popular, but it'll never happen with Tony Evers as governor, which is why he's got to go.
We'll take a quick break. I'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. All right, back to the uh, politics of the day we go from hopeful, potentially some optimistic um, things to happen in Wisconsin with the installation of Justice Hagedorn that's coming up later on. He hasn't been installed yet. Um, Hopefully to have him out and about some other justices like Justice Kelly uh, out and about and explaining to people what it means to be a constitutional conservative, which I think would be enormously educational for people in the state of Wisconsin. Um, You know, editorial boards ought to invite these justices in because I think a lot of editorial boards don't understand it. Um, I think that that gives me some some reason to be optimistic here. But then but then I look at some other things and, you know, my glass goes from half full to half empty. Here's one. Most young people say they're okay with socialism. I mean, we've seen this. It's over 60% now. It was under 60% last year, but now it's over 60%. Young people say that they think socialism sounds good. Here's another one. Most people, even though their paychecks went up, believe that the Republican Party raised their taxes in the last tax reform. So, you know, then I see things like this and I say to myself, well, hell, I don't know. Sean Duffy's on the phone to talk about some of this stuff. And we'll also see if we've got some time to talk about Attorney General Barr opening up an investigation, which I think is awesome. But uh, good to have you back. Vicki McKenna, your glass is always half full. I don't know, Brian. All right. I don't know, uh, Sean. I just said Brian on. (laughs) I don't know, Sean. Uh, 17%. You explained this one to me. 17% of people surveyed said they believe that their taxes went up. Not even that they didn't get a tax cut, but that their taxes went up from last year, from from, from this past year to the year before. That's not even possible, but but it's only 17% of people believe they have a tax cut. The rest of them thought their taxes went up. Yeah, the, the frustrating point of that is when, when you look at the power of the media and the Democrats, the partner with the media, they've been telling Americans for the last year and a half that they were going to get a tax increase. And frankly, Americans have believed it. And what's shocking is their actual net pay and their paychecks has gone up because they pay less in taxes. However, because they paid less throughout the year in taxes, their their tax refund at the end of the year is probably going to go down. And so they go, oh, because my tax refund went down, I must be paying more in taxes, even though my paycheck has been higher every uh, every month or every two weeks or every week whenever I'm paid. It's unbelievable. I don't. Get you it. could have Again, called it. Power of the liberal media. I could I can tell you this though you could you could have called this this was the one I think this was the the Achilles heel of the tax reform is that we you changed the withholding table so that people got more in their paychecks right away and I understand the reasoning behind that but 
if people don't perceive that that was due to the tax reform, then yes, by the end of the year when they're filing their taxes and their refunds are down slightly, they're saying, those rotten Republicans, all they did was give tax breaks to the rich. Look at my refund. It's $400 less. Therefore, my taxes went up. And unless there's someone like Sean Duffy sitting next to that person and every single one of those people going, um, no, man, let's compare your paychecks. That's going to be the general perception. So, I, I mean, I, you could have seen it. And with the way the media was selling this, this is not something that is surprising, except it's, it's just overwhelming. I'm just shocked that it's 83 percent of people thinking they didn't get a tax cut. Yeah, I, that, that surprises me, too. But, but I will tell you, I mean, I do think all in all people and I don't I haven't seen any polling on this, but most who I've talked to would say, you know what, the tax, the tax reform has been pretty good for the economy. There's more opportunity. There's more jobs. There's better pay. Um, people are pretty bullish on what's been going on. And I do think most people aren't saying that's because, you know, Barack Obama's policies only take effect after Barack Obama's left office. No, they're saying the, it's been the work of the Republican Congress and Donald Trump that's kick-started, grown the, uh, grown the economy, and, and made life better for my family. I do think we get credit for that. So it's all not bad, but it is troubling. You, you let people keep more of their own money because you fix the tax code, and people think the exact opposite. It's pretty tough. It's one of those things. No good deed goes on punters, Vicky. <laughs> like yep. you can't win. No kidding. You should have. I mean, you should have assumed. I guess you know. Where's what's the old uh, the old cliche? Nobody ever went broke uh, underestimating the intelligence of the American public. You should have assumed that uh, that folks wanted the bigger refunds rather than having money in their paychecks, additional money in their paychecks every single week. Although Sean, had you asked them, they'd have wanted the money up front. They would have wanted the money up front, and they still would have griped later, saying, "Why is my refund lower this year?" It's it's. But I could have seen it happening and and the reason was it was a few months ago i was i was reading about people who are going to get stuck by because they didn't change their withholding or they didn't change their deductions um if they didn't change their deductions and they ended up having to write a check my worry was that that people were going to have to write checks and they were going to blame the gop for that i had no idea that they'd blame the gop for having a slightly lower refund when they've been collecting more money in every paycheck it's just it's ma- it's one of those maddening things, but it gets you, you know, it gets us to the problem. And that is we don't educate. Conservatives don't do a good job over time consistently educating people about what our policies are, how they work and why they matter. And so we end up getting stuck with with stupid stuff like this to have to contend with when, you know, the only thing that anybody should be should be saying about the tax reform is thank you. But you know what? I, 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 it's, it's a fair enough criticism, Vicky. But it's incredibly hard, you know, when when Republicans go out and and and, and tout the tax reform about what it's going to do for the average American and for the economy, and the liberal media takes the talking points of the Democrat Party and pushes the exact opposite narrative, which is false, which isn't true, and it just shows you, you know, when you have a liberal media that is not fair. That is, you know, in, in in total opposition to free enterprise and in favor of socialism, it's really hard to win the minds, the, the the hearts and the minds of the American people. How do you get your message out? You get it out to the media, and so, but for you know, talk radio and, and and sometimes Fox News, you know, you, you know, you get your 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 Twitter account shadow banned. It's tough to get things out on Facebook, and the liberal media doesn't help tell the truth about what we've done. It's really hard to win the messaging war. 
uh, the deck is somewhat stacked against us as a, as a party. I mean, think back to when, when Democrats came out and said that it's a manufactured crisis at the southern border. The news media didn't say, Democrats claim it's a manufactured crisis at the border. Republicans say X, Y, and Z. The liberal media was coming out, and they would say it's a manufactured crisis at the border. They would actually report as news the, the, the political claim that was me, being made by the left. It's really hard to fight and win it, which maybe to your point is we have to be better. We have to be um, dogged in our push on what we've done and how it's been effective for, for the American people. And cagier. Using every resource possible. And you know what? It goes to the point, it's tough to go on CNN and MSNBC. It is hard because there's a little bit of gotcha that's played with you on those networks. But we need people to go into those spaces. Members of Congress can't be afraid to step into those spaces and to punch back and fight back with the truth where you have a group of people who only watch those networks. And unless we go there, the hosts aren't going to tell them the truth. And the Adam Schiff's of the world that go on aren't going to tell them the truth. It's our job to go on and tell them the truth, the flip side of the story that they're not getting from the anchors. Yeah, well, here's one. Um, and, and oddly, though, despite, you know, almost... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Almost to universal uh, Hosea for Russian collusion. Um, that wasn't sticking very well with the American public. So um, that was that it can you can get through. You can break through. Now, that may have had to do with President Trump consistently addressing it on his Twitter feed, which, of course, every single network um, always jumps on. You know, perhaps that he had he addressed as much attention to the tax reform on his Twitter feed in the same way. But honestly, I think what what what, what ended up getting you getting us stuck was the fact that you changed the withholding tables. I think that's what got us stuck on that. It sounded like a good idea at the time, um, but now it shows that maybe we should have just let people get bigger refunds. But had President Trump jumped on this on his Twitter feed, would it have changed perception of the way people understood the tax reform? Perhaps, because I do think that helped on Russia. Um, Most people don't think there is Russia collusion. Most people don't think the president's an agent of the Kremlin. Most people don't think that Carter Page or anybody else associated with the administration, including Mike Flynn, uh, one of the first guys popped on all of this, had anything to do with trying to alter the outcome of an election. They do actually think Hillary committed if not a crime, <clears throat> at least a violation. And a lot of people believe now at this point that President Trump isn't too far off the base when he says witch hunt. Now you've got Attorney General Barr willing to investigate the investigators. Um, you know, I mean, there are ways to flip the script, Sean. There, there, there is, and I look at it, uh, Attorney General Barr. I mean, thank God that we have someone in there who's, who, who's, who appears to be smart and willing to look at how did this investigation start? What went wrong? Um, was this just, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, misinformation? Did we just get it wrong and have good evidence that didn't pan out, that we needed to use intelligence tools that we reserve for terrorists, but to use them against a presidential campaign? Or were these actually politicos playing inside, using the power of the DOJ and the FBI, using that power 
to try to take down a presidential candidate and then an elected president. And we need the answers to those questions. And I think we're not going to have trust and faith in the FBI and the DOJ until we get those answers. And frankly, I think we should have a special counsel look at it, a special task force put up to, to look inside of who made what decisions and why they made them, and if they committed crimes to prosecute them. But sort of that, uh, if Attorney General Barr is going to take a hard look at what happened and disclose to us the background on how this bogus investigation began, which, by the way, we now know there was no Russia collusion, but our time was wasted for two years. Every day, every hour on MSNBC and CNN, they reported on it, and it was absolutely false. We, as the American people, have the right to know who did it. And by the way, we should protect the next president from any kind of investigation like this, including if Bernie Sanders wins, Bernie Sanders shouldn't have to go through this, nor should Kamala Harris. If you do something wrong, you should be investigated for it. But for a political purpose, based on a Russian dossier that was created by Hillary Clinton and the DNC, that that's used for the template to investigate Donald Trump, it's absolutely outrageous. So who did it? Let's hold them to account and let's clean out that bureaucracy of the FBI and the DOJ and make sure we have stringent rules in place to make sure the power we give them is used judiciously and to protect us, not used against us. Can Barr do it? Does he have the guts to do it? Does he have enough people who are trustworthy enough to do it? You know, I think if Chris Christie, if he was there, my answer would be absolutely. Bill Barr? Um, he's saying the right things, Vicki, um, but time will tell. And by the way, if she comes out and says, there was just a mistake, they had what they thought was good information, they made an error, there was no you know, nefarious purpose behind it, um, okay, uh, but I, I want to see him thoroughly look through it. And, I, and here's my hope. When, I, when you become an institutionalist, oftentimes you can defend the institution for which you've dedicated so much of your time to. My hope is that Bill Barr loves the institution of the attorney general's office enough that he's willing to expose it to reform it instead of loving it so much that he wants to protect it from criticism and then therefore keep the same sickness and cancer from, uh, from growing if it continues to grow inside uh, that, uh, that agency. So, so there's still a sense that perhaps he's a bit more of an institutionalist than makes people comfortable for somebody who is now tasked with trying to rebuild the integrity of that office. I think that's a concern. That's a concern. Um, and so I think the words are right. We want action, though. We want action. Uh, and by the way, if you, you, I don't know that Hillary Clinton's going to be prosecuted for anything, but I do want to know what was Hillary Clinton's role? What was Russia's true role? Um, in, in in their efforts um, to start this investigation, and if we if we as liberals say they care about Russian influence in American elections, well, what was their role in starting this investigation on Donald Trump? And by the way, the, the true mission of the Russians is to divide America. That's why they would they would promote um, multiple different issues on on either side. Um, they would promote pro-Trump rallies and anti-Trump rallies. Because all they care about is dividing America, because when we're divided, we're weaker. And so what they've done with, the, with this Russia investigation, the Russia collusion investigation with Donald Trump is they've divided America. They've been wildly successful in their efforts with the help of the liberal media. So let's find out what their role was in 
starting this investigation and providing bogus information to the Clinton campaign that was sent to the FBI. I'd like to also see a good investigative journalist detail uh, a forensic analysis of the media's assistance in spreading the propaganda and the smears in a way that looked, I dare say, coordinated, Um, because you are talking about a universal hymnal being sung from by everybody except a handful of people on the Fox News channel and a couple of folks writing editorials for the Wall Street Journal. I mean, otherwise, it sounded like everyone was working from the same exact script. So I'd love to see that as well, talking about getting back to to the to the, um, the the menace that the media has become because you know the, the, the for for two years they weren't telling us the truth and I'll tell you some other things they weren't telling us the truth about just about anything they weren't telling us the truth about Russian collusion they weren't telling us the truth about Hillary Clinton's email scandal they weren't telling us the truth about uranium one the deal that she did behind the scenes they weren't telling us the truth about Hillary Clinton period they weren't telling us the truth about the tax reform the crisis on the border the actual reality of gun violence in America we're not getting the truth about what you know how many fake hate crimes there are out there how many times can Conservative speech has been attacked. They're not telling us the truth about Google, Facebook, and Twitter shadow banning and outright blacklisting conservatives. So let's actually do a little bit of a forensic deep dive. And I know that's not going to be Congress's responsibility, but maybe it could be into just how the press participated in promoting propaganda that was so far reaching the press themselves started to believe their own headlines. Well, maybe what the press could do is... The, 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 the very ones who put Adam Schiff on for two years and where Adam Schiff came and said, I have more than substantial uh, than, 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 than uh, uh, circumstantial evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Russia. When he has now come back on after we found out that there was no collusion, maybe they should ask him, what evidence do you have, Congressman Schiff? When are you going to show us your evidence? You, I mean, though, though, the, uh, though the, the Mueller reports uh, interviewed, you know, hundreds of people and, you know, tons of subpoenas in a two-year investigation. The great Adam Schiff with a couple of his uh, staff members, they're the ones that found the evidence of Russia collusion. Why don't they ask him to show us, expose it for us? But he comes back on, and he's never asked those questions. And so uh, I do think the glass uh, is half empty when we look to say, is the media going to actually call themselves out for their fake reporting? Fat chance that that's ever going to happen, but it would be nice. No way. No, that's why. Honest reporters. That's why you're going to need a, a good independent investigative reporter to actually do this kind of analysis of the media. You can't expect them to do a self-analysis because they're just finding ways to move on to the next scandal so they don't have to take responsibility for the for the chaos and destruction that's in their wake. Hey, Sean, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Rock on, Vicky. Talk to you later. Good to have you, Congressman Sean Duffy. Everybody, I'm out of time. Have a great day. Madison police just had to use DNA to track down a 14-year-old, 14-year-old who had stolen an SUV, run a red light at South Gammon Road, and crashed it into a minivan. 14. This is... A new quality of criminal in Madison. We're going to talk about the new, the new condition of law enforcement and crime in Madison. Take a look ahead. Take a look at the past a bit with Chief Mike Koval when we come back. And you're not new.
one thing that's standing by on the phone is Madison Police Chief Mike Koval. Whatever I can do, even for the briefest moments in time, Mike, to make you feel a little happier. I'm here for you. I need a lot of love these days. You know, after last week, someone asked me, visceral reaction, Chief, how do you feel? And I said, well, I'm going to date myself. It's the last scene of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They're down to 12 bullets in their revolvers between the two of them. And meanwhile, the entire Mexican army has encircled them as they make their last break for freedom. And, well, you know the rest of the story. Yeah. So let's talk about this. You now have, um, at Uh, least rhetorically speaking, we'll see how we'll see if the realities of of an executive position changes the political rhetoric, at least with regard to the mayor. But the the political rhetoric was all about how MPD, police in general, uh-huh. the law itself um, is is the problem. You're just you are the walking, talking, living example of institutional racism. And so Madison, I'm, I'm sorry to say Madison voted for that last Tuesday. Yeah, it's a little bit discouraging because of the fact that I know what kind of a workforce they have. I know how conscientious, I know how diligently they train, and I know the sacrifices they make on a daily basis. And very few people, when asked, push comes to shove, would you literally sacrifice your very life for a stranger? The people in the norm cannot do that. And it's a, it's a difficult job. It's a challenging job. And the problem is, is that when you have this sort of... Uh, aggregation effect where people say that early and often and persistently and you never get a respite or reprieve i think that sort of dwells on an average officer's psyche to some extent and uh, so it's up to me as the cheerleader to say you guys are doing a great job and they are i'm very proud of their work yeah it would be nice if they had more huh would be nice if you could actually spread uh (laughs) here let's talk about this for a second personnel wise If you had perfect staffing for the types of crime we've got in Madison, the number of people in Madison, how how many down are you, either real bodies or just percentages? Well, there's so many metrics that people use, but the one that we like the most talks about work analysis, looking at the types of calls, how many calls, the intensity of the calls, things like that. By those conventional means, which are considered best practice, uh, and we've done those for every other year. We're at least 16 down in patrol alone. That doesn't include it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Investigative services, some of those other corollary positions. So... We know what the the landscape looks like for the fall for the operating budget. We know that uh, coming in that uh, elected officials have made it very uh, strongly urged that we need to put more in preemption and prevention and social workers and less in cops. And and I would say that I'd like to reframe that conversation to say I've got nothing against prevention and preemption. That steers calls away from our cops, which is a good thing. But on the other hand, we still are barely keeping pace with the workload. And in that context, we still are slowly getting behind. You know, I'd like to have 
people who have elected in prominent positions understand that some of the reasons that Madison has historically made some of these best of lists, fill in the blank, is because of the public safety that people enjoy. We're a part of that algorithm for quality of life, and I wish people would acknowledge it. Uh, But as I said, that's one of those things that I have to continue to strive to educate people and maybe I'll get a few believers along the yeah, way. You know, Hope springs eternal. A couple of things as you were talking there jumped to mind. Number one, the reason Madison makes those lists, and yes, one of the reasons is, is because of safety. But there was also, uh-huh. and, and I don't know if things have changed, it seems like at least some people are comfortable with suggesting that we should change. This idea of shared community, um, That I think that's one of the reasons why Madison was safe. You had neighbors looking out for neighbors, you had people calling yep. the police, you you had the police yep. responding, so you had you you know you had everything working. You had the schools with order yep. in the classroom. You didn't have you know chaos that spilled out into the hallway, that spilled out and onto the football field, that spilled into the library. So you didn't have that, and you had sort of everybody without even being asked to just naturally kind of picked up their end of the bargain. Madison used to be notorious, or, or not even notorious, famous for. Actually, people picking up their trash, Mike. <laughs> you know, one of the things that used to be said about Madison, it's a litter-free city, and it's not because you got all those yeah. people picking up other people's garbage. But the, my problem now it's, it, is that it seems that there is a, a message being sent that there's a category of people, if they have been decided, uh, if they've been branded victims, that are not expected to participate in this part of the quality of Madison life. And because that seems to be carrying the day, the rest of the folks are kind of saying, well, why don't I just shut my doors? Maybe I'm just I'm just not going to be part of this any longer. Maybe I'll put my house up for sale. And that's going to take Madison off those lists. I think you're right. I think there's something to be said for that sort of a pervasive malaise that has settled in on so many levels. You know, we don't have sort of a balanced conversation at a lot of these council meetings because people who have jobs are raising families or chasing their kids. They don't have all night to sit around and posture and wait for their three minutes of fame that might happen at 1030 at night. They got stuff to do. And I get that. But at some point, I think uh, part of the reason people aren't more participatory and you know, tell their neighbor's kids formally, hey, don't drop that uh, that litter there. Pick it up, kid. Your, your kid, oh, your parent wouldn't want that. I think everybody stays in their own lanes because they're so darn afraid of being marginalized by dissent. True. And, and it is part of the contributory problem that we as a community uh, have not come to terms with. I was looking at one of these, um, I think it's called Next Door, uh, a neighborhood social media site, uh, and a West Side neighborhood in Madison. There was a rash of, of vandalism and, and uh, home break ins, and folks were on that Next Door site saying, Don't call the police, don't call the police, don't call the police. And other people saying, Why wouldn't I call the police? We have to, right. as a community, support each other, and, and that means being allies to people who are victims. And I thought, my my goodness, this is, you know, this is not something I would have expected just a few years ago um, when the whole neighborhood certainly would have come together, but it would have been together in peace and order. And now it, it appears that the people who want peace and order are the ones who are being told to stand down. Well, and, and we've had, obviously, as, as you well know, we've had some high profile cases where people who through bona fide reasons uh, expressed a concern, called the police tried to articulate some reasonable suspicions for why they were calling the police. 
and it sort of blew up as if as if people were uh, sort of profiling individuals in their neighborhood, and that certainly put a, a chilled effect on sort of those neighbors who were sort of trying to be good stewards of one another. So I think we have to find the balance. Is that you know, yeah, we, we don't tolerate profiling, but I'm concerned when people have reasonable, legitimate, articulable suspicions that they doubt that they. Uh, then basically minimize or discount because they're afraid, well, my gosh, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be labeled a racist or something worse. And I'll, I'll be, be outed. Yeah, this is public and, and record. If, if you, that's yeah. the thing. If you call the police, it's, it is public record. Um, another thing that you had said was that you're down 16 on patrol, and that, and that made me want to ask you this question. If you're down that many people on patrol, and I already know that you're working uh, oftentimes on priority calls only um, yep. because you're down so many officers, what does that do for, uh, you know, to you for scheduling vacations, time well, off? And if you can't schedule vacations and time off regularly, what does that do to the way a police officer is dealing with a high-priority high call to high-priority call. I mean, that just hurts my neck thinking about it. Exactly, because unfortunately, we have a new normal going from call to call to call. When we see people at their worst day, when they're most vulnerable, and you have those experiences time and time again, you do need to have some mechanism to decompress, decompartmentalize, have coping skills, and yes, time away from the workplace. What we have is that we have a a perfect storm of things. We have a lot of men and women that are on military deployments. We have uh, officers who are on light duty because they've been injured in the course of their work. Uh, And in all that problem, then, is that uh, typically what we've seen in the past is that uh, folks like to see us just throw more money at overtime rather than staffing it. But as you know, first of all, that's an expensive proposition over time. And secondly, that's not a long-term solution. All that does is sort of fix the problem here and now, but it can't be sustained emotionally because the officers need that break. They need that respite. And it, without it, you know, they're going to be less effective and certainly less sensitive to the needs of those victims that were encountered. Yeah, and maybe less inclined to continue on in the in the profession, the vocation. Well, you know, you, you and I have had this conversation. I've had, uh, in five years, I have unfortunately seen us go from single-digit losses of just now. I'm just talking about resignations over the last three to four years, Vicki. You know, a six here, an eight here, a seven there. And then last year, 22. And these are younger-sized people who basically said, yeah, I, I signed up, eyes wide open. I was a criminal justice major. I knew what I was getting into. I'd had an internship. But gosh, gee willikers, once they actually did the job, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. And, and that's sort of one of the things that, you know, we're continually retooling. We have decided, I've decided we have to take a, a playbook from the Marines, much more so in the screening, and say, this is the cha- most challenging criminal justice job that's out there, and it's not made for everybody. So if you haven't done a probative inventory of what you can or can't take, time to saddle up and think about that real hard right now, because this is not going to be a cyclical thing, and we're in the downside of a cycle. This is the new normal, and we've got to get used to it and attract people that are are ready for that. You know what? Now you also have folks who are, you know, they're at their 25 years, and they're saying, done it long enough. They're pulling the pin. Yeah, (laughs) and I, exactly. And so you've got that problem as well. Um, It's just the idea of this job 
And mm-hmm. like I said, I mean, it actually kind of makes my shoulders start to ache thinking about that kind of fatigue because you tense up when you're, mm-hmm. you know, when your adrenaline is pumping and you're moving from high priority to high priority. And and I just can't imagine what that feels like week after week after week without being able to count on a break. Um, let's talk about the crime now as well, because the, the, the type of crime, remember, you know, 25 years ago when I came here, I remember we used to we used to have a, a police blotter segment in our news and it was an occasional bank robbery. It was usually yep. somebody who had tried to stick up a, a gas station with a phony gun. Uh, and yep. I remember it was um, undisclosed or undescribed suspect w- uh, flees with undisclosed amount of cash. And that mm-hmm. was pretty much what we had. We didn't have homicides. We didn't have a lot of gang activity. We didn't have youth stealing cars. You guys just spent weeks tracking down a 14-year-old kid who stole an SUV, damn near killed someone running a light. We didn't have melees. We didn't have, you know, kids not respecting police authority at the library. You know, I, uh, I, I don't even... I, and you, don't forget, hey, 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 don't ever omit, the schools are a whole nother playground. In huh. the, yeah, and then the schools. Another thing, you used to be able to count on the schools, at least yep. for um, a, a limited amount of time, of being in orderly structure that um, that again that it helped prop up that quality of life in Madison because it, over time habits form orderly habits form when people are exposed to order and now you've seen that under it's attack contagious. you're right order is contagious and so are expectations and so are accountability and there's a void in that part of our response isn't there there's no no doubt about it yeah, and so how do how do police handle that? Because you're picking up a 14 year old kid. That kid's laughing at you already on a, on a you know monitoring bracelet. And if you're a police officer, you just know that two three months from now you're probably going to be encountering the same juvenile again. Yes, and and the other thing is is that when you're stealing cars and you're an inexperienced driver and you hit the panic button or you're showboating or you decide to get that you're going to elude a police officer. Uh, in the vehicle, what I worry about is is was exemplified in that minivan getting T-boned at uh, Gammon and Mineral Point. Is that we're just been fortunate that, frankly, the people who have been stealing the cars have been hurt worse because they're hitting fixed objects or or themselves, and they're not bringing other innocent third parties into that algorithm. But I, I do worry that it's only a matter of time before we're going to see something like that occur. Well, whatever we can do to, you know, kind of chuck you guys on the shoulder and, you know, again, folks in Madison, if you see a police officer, I don't know, just smile, comply, say thank you, say hi. Well, you know what? I got to tell you, a little a little uh, thumbs up or thank you or just saying you're doing a great job. I can't tell you how much an intangible that is for our officers. And they comment to me routinely that it really buoys their spirits. So for those who have taken the time and made that effort, thank you so much. You don't know how grateful I am when I hear these stories. And the officers really get a little giddy up back in their steps. So thank you very much. Mike Koval, Chief, thank you for being on the program today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Vic, and I appreciate your veterinary help. You betcha. And by the way, here we're, we're sending you out with your theme song. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Have you a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Chief Mike Koval, uh, we'll come right back here in just a moment. All right, so we're out of time in this segment. Um, I don't know, Madison. 
you got you got a police chief holding things together in a police force that is not feeling the love, at least not from leadership. I think I think people out in the community are making them are, are probably what's the difference between a lot of people deciding to leave the police force and stay. So, you know, your best efforts to be supportive of law enforcement. I, I would double those efforts. Um But I was talking to Mike, and he said, you got to check out this band. Joel was telling me about this band, VO5. Was that you? Oh, Joel Despain was telling him about it. And I looked it up. It's some retro band. Anyway, uh, maybe we'll do that for bump music on tomorrow's show. Some retro soul pop band. Everybody have a great night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.